and we're going to get rolling. So if you want to find your seat, we will start. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you again this morning to reason together in the Word of God. I have a huge benefit over almost all of you. I cannot identify exactly where every single one of you lives. However, I live a little bit of a distance away from here, and it's west of here. So I had the benefit of getting up and driving out, and as I was starting to head east, the sunrise began. And I know some of you saw that, but you know, you're city folk, so you saw it in the city. We saw it without any lights uh, uh, kind of contaminating it. It was beautiful. It was a great reminder of the God that we have, who we serve, what an opportunity a day like this, the Lord's Day is. There was an old song, I think it was a Sandy Patty song, in that line, was it a morning like this? I don't know if any of you remember that from the 80s, and you've got to go back a little ways, but was it, what did it look like that morning of the resurrection? Was it a morning like this? I think of that when I see the resurrection. I think it would be a great day for the Lord to return and take us home, too. Great way to start. And it'll be even more glorious that day, but we'll look forward to that someday. Before we get into the Word, let's pray and start this right Heavenly Father, you are wonderful and you're perfect. Your creative power is beyond our understanding. We could not possibly create something as beautiful as that. We try, we attempt to, but everything is so limited in, in the way we can act and think and react. It's, it's, um, it's nothing like you. You're an amazing and powerful God, one who could do anything he wants, and yet you choose to love us that you sought us when we weren't looking for you. When we were yet sinners, you sent your Son to die for us. What an incredible God that you are, and we praise your name. Uh, So often we ask for things, and you ask us to do that. that We, we, through prayer and petition, make our requests known to you, but I pray that today that's not the case. We just praise your name. This morning as we come to worship, that we worship in, in spirit and in truth. As you told the woman at the well, that there is something special about that, that it is an inward and outward expression of our love for you. And we love you, and we want to dedicate this time to you. And as we go through the Word today, and we see the incredible life-changing words that you've written through men thousands of years ago that are relevant to us today, I pray that we don't just let it kind of go by as if they're just normal words. These aren't. These are words from you. And that means that they change us, that they're eternal, and they never fade away. So I pray that we not only take them, but then we use them and we apply them. So be with us today as we study through Philippians and then later into Galatians, and that uh, we can understand what it is you want to teach us today. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we have uh, a very short, comparatively, to what I have, have done in in past weeks, a very short set of verses, one through four. But let me just warn you, they are packed with information, packed with things for us practically right here, right now. And it was very difficult. You know, I'm not a title guy, but what, what is this all about? What is each one of these all about? I, I, I was tempted to make this kind of, well, this is the encouragement in Christ, and it is. There's no doubt about it. That this is about unity, and that's what it's going to be. We're going to see that too that we've got to be careful about pride and conceit and rivalry, and that's that too. But I think the whole thing is wrapped up in, and what we're going to see next week, I won't be teaching this next week, but the incredible example 
of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His humility, and we can't fathom it, by the way, because we're not God. Imagine being God and humbling yourself and coming here. Just imagine that. The world we live in, taking on flesh and doing what he did, I believe that that is coming, and we are to understand that humility is the key for us. Our humble service of the Lord, our humble service of one another, and that's what I kind of fell into, is that that's what this is all about. So this is what we're going to hit today, and then I'd like to kind of look at these verses. Since it's short, we'll read them all through, and then we'll kind of break them down as always. So here's what we're going to hit. Verse 1. The encouragement in Christ, what that really means, what it entails, what are the different elements and aspects of it, what does that mean to you right now? What does that mean to us as a church? So important. Verse 2 is being of the same mind. They are together, they are together. The reminder of what Christ has done for us, what that means to us on our daily, in our daily walk, and then how we should all think that way. Um, it's important that we understand what we have in common, remind ourselves of what we have in common. And then verses 3 and 4 is a combination of things. Pride versus humility. Conceit versus brokenness. Uh, Being a servant or being one that gets served. These are very contrasting ideas. And they can find their way into every single congregation. And we have have to be aware of that. So anyway, let's go back to the text, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Let me read it through, and then actually we're going to flip over to Ephesians for a second after we do that to set up our kind of our, our study and idea for today, what I think is kind of overriding it. But Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Let's take a look at the whole text, and then we'll go through it. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So, so if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So that's our text. And you can see where humility comes into play here. You can see why that one kind of is where I landed. This idea that we have to view things differently than the world does. Uh, We live in a selfie age. I say this to my teenagers all the time, but I'd love to say it's just a teenage problem. But it isn't. The idea of promoting self is really, um, it's natural to us. It's very natural to us. And in this day and age of technology and uh, and social media, Satan has just given us a, a better way of producing this selfishness, a, a, a better vehicle for it, maybe an easier one. And I think, unfortunately, it's not a teenage problem exclusively. It's a problem for all of us, and not just in social media. It is in our lives. And so when we consider this, it's an attitude. It's an attitude you must choose. And the reason why I say that And I'd like you to flip back to Ephesians chapter 4. Since you're in Philippians, you're not far from there. Ephesians chapter 4. There is a decision we need to make. As we consider this text today, Paul is talking to believers. He's talking to believers who have been sanctified, who have been justified, who are currently being progressively sanctified, and they they are challenged by Paul, and he's challenging me, and he's challenging you, that you got to make the choice. 
What sort of attitude are you going to have every day? And we kind of see this given to us, not only in Ephesians 4, later on I'm going to reference Colossians 3, very similar language. But take a look at this with me, just to get us set up, and then I want to share a quote with you that I think will help us here. Starting at verse 20. This is not the way you learned Christ. What's he referencing? This, this sort of uh, prideful, darkened, ignorant understanding of, of what Christianity really is. This is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, here's what it is. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and corrupt, thought, uh, corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. You know, so we've got put off, put on, and then, and then here we have put on again, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of, one of another. So we have an attitude adjustment that we've got to make on a daily basis that we have to decide how we're going to view things. Uh, I'm going to share a quote with you here in just a moment, but it's, um, this particular quote comes from Chuck Swindoll. And I don't know about you, but there are voices out there in the radio that you hear throughout your lifetime that there is a certain peace that is spoken to you when those guys speak, when they talk, when they're speaking from the Word. It brings me back to my youth and hearing that. And it actually reminds me of my mother-in-law who passed away 15 years ago today. She is in glory. The Lord took her home. Uh, but as so many of you losing your loved ones, um, when I think of, of these uh, heroes of the faith that have taught us for many years, she enjoyed Chuck Swindoll. I, I remember being at their home, hearing her, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, speak of him, quoting him, hearing him on the radio. But it, it's just a reminder of the hope that we have when we as believers, my wife and I were talking about this as we were enjoying that sunrise this morning, we as believers think of losing a loved one. It is so different. The pain's still there, of course, you know. It, there is a sting of death, but we know there is a victory that is coming. Uh, we're reminded of this every time we open Scripture, that the hope that we have separates us, differentiates us from the rest of the world. And because of that, I say all of this, because of that, Shouldn't we have a different attitude as we approach life? Shouldn't everything we do be seasoned and changed and filtered through the hope that we know is true, that we know Christ already did, that he, he has made us more than conquerors, that he accomplished, that we had nothing to do with, and yet he did this, and this should be our, this should be our driving force on how we choose to put on and put off what we once were, what we are now. Attitude. So here's the quote. And I think it's a great one. Here's, here's what Chuck says. It's a long one, but I'll read it to you. And, and I just, I, this resonates with what we're going to talk about. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes. It is more important than what people think or say or do. It is, import, it is more important than appearance, giftedness, or scale. It will make or break a company, a church, a home, a marriage. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that the life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. 
And that is exactly what we're going to see in Scripture today, that we need to make a mental choice. This is how we're going to look at things going forward. We're going to say, as believers who are redeemed, who have the hope of eternity, what should we be thinking like? Okay, so that's our setup, long setup, I know, for what we're going to hit today. So verse 1, this encouragement in Christ. If we're back in Philippians chapter 2 very quickly, we'll just slowly go through these one at a time. If there is any encouragement in Christ, that's the very first line we see, an encouragement in Christ. So I'll bring that up. It's up on the screen. But let me just show you something here. There's a specific word that we're going to see used, or the form of it here, that Christ uses as well. And it's an encouragement word too. Let me show you. Here's the word that we're talking about. And the the base word here is paraclete, or paraclesis. And the word encouragement means to counsel, to exhort, to help, to come alongside. Uh, MacArthur puts it this way in his his commentary on this particular passage. He says, this is the way you need to kind of visualize this. This is Jesus coming alongside of you via the Holy Spirit who's, who's in you and encouraging you as you do his will, strengthening you as you go through difficulty and giving you the endurance and telling you, you can do this. You can accomplish my will because I chose you. You're different. I'm empowering you. I'm giving you my word. You can do this. We're not talking about physical successes. This isn't about winning games or making money. This is about accomplishing the eternal things that matter. His will, the things for his kingdom and his glory. He wants to help you do this. This is that quiet voice that the Lord is encouraging you with. Almost think like uh, how Elijah struggled after this great victory and then has this big low. And then what do we hear? A still small voice is what encourages him to do the next thing. I think of my mother-in-law again. That was one of her famous lines. Honey, just do the very next thing. Just do the next thing. That's what she would tell uh, any of us that would might be struggling. Just do the next thing. That's what God is telling us to do. So here's what I say. This is the reason I say this is so important. Because this is the, the base word of what Christ said. Take a look at this. We have a couple examples of this all in the upper room. Okay? So I've said this to you before. When we look at passages in the upper room, imagine the immensity of the moment, right? The very next day, within a 24-hour period, he will take every believer in here's sin and all the believers throughout history's sin on his shoulders. A man who knew no sin became sin for you. That's going to happen in just a few short hours. There's going to be a separation from the Father that we can't even conceive of, that I don't quite even understand, And the pain and suffering that he wrote, he is going to fulfill. And in the midst of this, look at our Savior. He cares for his his own. He cares for his apostles, and he cares for you. I don't know that I'd be thinking about everybody else if I knew what was coming for me in the next few hours. Would you? Let's just think about that. But here's what he says, and he's using the same base word when you see helper, that's paraclete. Look at this. But the helper, the encourager, the one who's going to comfort the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. I think he's talking in part about how they're going to write the Gospels, but also how they're going to speak and talk and think and the decisions that they're making on their daily life. Hour two, I'm going to give you a little preview. Pastor gave me some great advice on a passage that we're going to hit that's a little difficult, but grace is so much more than pardon. Grace is so much more than you're just forgiven. 
graces your every walk, every moment of your walk with Christ. He is empowering you, encouraging you, comforting you in the difficulties and, and struggles in life. So we see paraclete, encourager there. A little later, John 15, when the helper comes, the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me for proclaiming the gospel, for preaching the gospel, which is every one of our callings. This is what we're called to do. You know me. Every week I'm going to challenge you to do that. God will put somebody in your path. He will definitively will put somebody in your path. I'll confess to you, I miss those sometimes. More often than not. But I can promise you that's the business we should be in. Somehow, someway, someplace, that's where it's going to be. Let's continue on. John 16, it's right in front of you, but let's see it again. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. But notice the beginning. He'll guide you in all truth. Well, we have the incredible benefit of having the complete word of God here in front of us. Ah, we take it for granted so often, and I think I've mentioned this to you before. There's a great YouTube video of uh, the underground church in China receiving Bibles. Have any of you seen that and their reaction to it? Man, um, that's convicting. Because I don't react that way with my stack of Bibles that I have at home. So easily accessible. Do you cherish it? But what's the Lord going to do with this word? He's going to help you understand it. Notice he says, I'll guide you in all truth. I've got the word of God here for you and I'm going to help you understand it too. I'll tell you what, I, I do this for a living as many of you know. I would be horrible at this if you weren't helping me. <laughs> it would, it would, I would be the worst teacher on planet earth because I really would never have a clue what this means. I, I wouldn't know what to tell you. I could read it. There's intellects out there. There's PhDs who have more of this memorized than I do. But if they don't know Christ, if Christ doesn't know them, they don't know what they're talking about. Because I don't. He does and he helps us. And he helps you. He helps you to understand what we're reading as we're sitting here. And I, I think you're like me as you're a student. I'm a student, and I hear people teaching. I'm, I'm kind of thinking this through, and I'm sometimes a step ahead of And I, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it means, because you have the same spirit that I do. Very in, 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 impressive what the Lord does through the body of believers. And we'll see that unity later on. Okay, moving on, we see this again, this idea of comfort coming up. And here's where we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Now, I'm going to bring it up for you. You can go there, but we're only going to be there for a second. The concept of the comforter here is this. Any comfort, it says, any comfort from love. Now, here we have another Greek word that we have, paramatheon. Paramatheon. This one means a gentle comfort, consolation, exhortation, persuasion, or encouragement. Boy, I need every single one of those words at times. There are days, and even as elders we talk about this, there's days where we struggle and we're serving the Lord, and for you serving the Lord, there are days where it's tough, and you need encouragement. That's exactly what it, and I love the way that this is put. The comfort comes from love. What love? Christ's love for you. Christ's love that he, he, he showed to you, that he demonstrated to you. And look at the church in Acts. This is, keep context now, this is af, after Paul's conversion, so things might be a little bit easier because he's not pursuing and trying to kill and round up all Christians. So, you know, the, the tiger that he was to pursue unrighteousness was gone. So maybe that helps. But look at what it says here. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up and walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. 
Things weren't easy. But man, day to day, what happened? The Lord comforted them. As they continued to grow and as they continued to multiply, this goes right back to the, the idea of you doing your job, the job of the evangelist. There's going to be comfort in those days where it's not always easy. This is why Paul has to tell us, don't grow weary of doing good. You're going to have the helper, the paraclete, the, the comforter come in and support you, comfort you, give you the encouragement that you need. That's, that's such an important concept. As we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, this idea of comfort, here's what we see from Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Well, that's a broad term. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Aha. So it's not just for you. huh? So the Holy Spirit comforts you when you need it, That's because he loves you, but he's also training you so that you can do the same thing to those around you and support the fellow believer that you're supposed to love, that you're supposed to support. Keep in mind, overriding here, you choose to do this. You're putting this on, because I'll I'll tell you, I'm not, I I love you, I love you all, I really do, but I love myself so much more sometimes. So i got to choose to do what God's calling me to do. Now, keep in mind, the Holy Spirit's prompting me. And if I do it right, it isn't me anyway. Okay, this is that grace we were talking about. We're going to come back around to this. It's him doing that. But I can push him off. I can, I can say I'm not listening to you, and so can you. Back to the text. I didn't get very far. Sorry. But this is what it says. With which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Remember, we share in this. This is something we have in common. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. I'm learning. As I go along and I'm comforted by the Lord, I'm learning. I'm going to use this to comfort others. This hardship, I may not understand it all, but God is preparing me for something else. And it's for somebody else. It's not about me. And that's the tendency, but it isn't. Back to the text. It is for your comfort which you're experiencing when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for your unshaken, for, for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Something we share. Now we share in the afflictions, we share in the trouble, but we also share in the comfort. And the beautiful thing about how God works through his church is that he offers this to us, he empowers us to do this, but he lets you take part in this too. He lets you and I take part. We have skin in the game in his kingdom that we will reign with him in. We don't deserve this, but he lets you be a blessing to other people. Now keep in mind, he's doing this, but you get to take part in this. Pretty incredible when we consider this. All right, here's the next one. Same verse. Notice this is just verse 1. Here's the next one. Any participation in the Spirit. What does he mean by this? Any participation in the Spirit. This isn't too complicated. I'm going to give you a couple passages right off the bat that we see in participation in the Spirit. You probably can figure this out real quick. Now, before I read this passage out to you and we consider what this means, we're going to hear concepts like being baptized. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, the Scripture I'm going to read is not about water baptism. Now, that's something that's necessary. You should follow in obedience, but that is an outward expression of something that inwardly has already happened. That is a symbol. That doesn't save you, and that's not something that's a magic trick. What happened to you, what we're going to talk about is the baptism that John was differentiating. 
when John the Baptist was talking about this one who comes after me that I'm not fit to even untie his sandals. That's what we're dealing with. So let's take a look at this. What participation in what spirit, what are we dealing with? Here's what it is. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For one in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. Not water baptism. When the Holy Spirit came on you, when he saved you, he started to regenerate you. He changed you that moment regeneration happened. You are now a whole new animal. You're different. You're a different creature. And that happens. That's the baptism that we're talking about. When, when John differentiates this, I baptize with water, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Specifically, John, John is referencing this and Paul's referencing this. That's what we're, we're connected in that. This Holy Spirit that's in us. And, you know, I'm probably in that that category that Paul often uses as barbarian, but you're included in that too. You're you're connected into that too. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one, but of many. And we have no, of course, we're talking about gifts of the Spirit he's setting them up for. Look at 2 Corinthians 13. And this grace comes back around, around again. For the grace of the Lord... Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is one of those unique texts, by the way. This very short verse where we see the Trinity very clearly illustrated, very clearly in front of us. But it's also that Trinity is including you. We have fellowship in the Holy Spirit. That this God of the universe, this most powerful being that ever was, ever will be, and currently is, knows you. And you, you have him indwelling you. That's an incredible thing. And we fellowship in this. This is amazing. As we see this, he's writing this to other believers. He's writing this to you. We're participating in the Spirit. What an incredible honor. Here's what Peter says. Second Peter 1, 3 through 3-4. should be on the screen, but feel free to go here. This, this has multiple levels of interpretation, and I'm going to give you a couple here. But look at the, look at the passage. His, Jesus, God's divine power has granted to us. Now you might remember, I'm going to pause right there. I didn't get very far on this one either. You were granted many things in Christ. One of the things we analyzed last week was suffering. You were, you were granted that. You were, it's a gift, an incredible gift that you have the honor to do this. That's part of the all things. Just want to remind you of, of last week. Has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has, again, granted to us his precious and very great promises. We've talked about, we've talked about a few already today. So that through them you may become what? Partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? Well, I think, in part, it's a little of what we heard from Pastor last week, that there is a, there's a connection to being born again. John 3, no doubt about that. And certainly what what we see here is being born from above, that you're a different person, that new creation, that new creature that we talked about and that I mentioned earlier from 2 Corinthians 5. But it's also that you have the Holy Spirit in you that is allowing you to do things that are divine. I don't mean performing miracles or walking on water. Remember, Jesus said you're going to do greater things than I. He's not talking about the miracles. I haven't raised anybody from the dead lately. What is he talking about? The things that are eternal. Okay? When you raise somebody from the dead, those poor fo- folks have to die again. Okay? What's more important? Sharing with them this incredible, precious good news that can save them. The only thing that can save them. The gospel of Jesus Christ that can save them. And you have the opportunity. 
You have the honor. You have the, the ability to do this because of this divine nature. Now, it also speaks of the glorification that we are all anticipating. Absolutely. That we will become like him, just as we hear in Philippians and in 1 John. We will become like him. No doubt that's a play on these words too. That this divine nature, that we're partakers of it, this is participation in the Spirit is heavy, is what I'm trying to get across to you. We, we, I think, much like I mentioned with Scripture, maybe we take it for granted. I think sometimes we take for granted the power that God has given you to share the gospel, to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, to have a testimony, to go through hard things that we've already talked about, and yet he comforts us to be the person that he expects you to be, plans for you to be, and to walk in those things that he planned beforehand for you to walk in them. Second, or, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 10. Having escaped from the corruption of the world because of the sinful desire. I think there's a lot playing here. But certainly the Holy Spirit in you is a big piece of this. Big piece of this. What gives you the ability to do this. Here's the next one from verse 1. Affection and sympathy. By the way, I failed to mention this. When we look at this passage, back to the very beginning of this, it says, is there any encouragement in Christ? I think that's intentional that that's first, by the way. I didn't mention this earlier. Because the rest of these things that we are talking about in verse 1, they don't happen without him. The encouragement in Christ is all of these things. You see what I mean? As we start with that, the comfort, the love, the participation in the Spirit, and then finally the affection and sympathy, that all starts with the foundation, which is at Christ. And then it, and then it bleeds down, washes down into that. And um, that, I think, is what we're dealing with here. So, affection and sympathy. Here's, here's some more Greek for you. And here's what we see. The word here, affection, is splunkna. Isn't that a fun one to say? By the way, I double-checked that. That's exactly how you say that. But, you know, feel free to use that anytime you want. The word literally refers to internal organs. Kind of gross, I realize, but what is God trying to get across to us here? That's from the inside. This affection and sympathy much like we've talked about already, it's supernatural, it's driven by the Holy Spirit, but it's real. Think about how we're called to love the Lord. Think about the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's true faith in Christ. That only comes from Christ because you don't have the capacity for that. I mean, that's exactly what we'll see out of the rich young ruler later on today. He doesn't have the capacity. He didn't realize he didn't have the capacity. He didn't come to the end of himself. But that's everything that you are. That's the word here. That's inside. That's legitimate. That's real. Remember, this comes from Christ. You can't do this alone. You can't. I can't. And sometimes we try, and we still keep coming back to self because that's our default setting. When you don't, it's the Lord working through you. Anyway, that re- the intense emotion, it becomes the strongest Greek word to express compassionate love, a love that involves one in, one's entire being. When you read a definition like that, right, from Strong's Greek def, uh, Dictionary, you think, that's not possible for me. It's just not possible. But it is for our Lord, and he's illustrated that. Like I said, next week you're going to hear this. You're going to see this. Pastor's going to deliver this next one to us, and you're going to see the living example of exactly what that looks like. It's not in you. It's in the Lord. So what do we see? Well, we see John speaking of this. No surprise, Right? John's gospels are di- gospel is very different than the synoptic gospels. Very relational and very, very much about that love relationship. Here's what he says. A new commandment, this is Jesus in the upper room yet again. I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this all people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. I think he's trying to tell us to love one another. What do you think? That this is the distinction between us and everybody else. Now what's new about this? Love was commanded in the Old Testament. Here's what's new. The self-sacrificial love. That's different. The love that is driven by a relationship with Christ. That's different. That's something new. How different? Well, it was a real struggle for the Jewish leaders to understand this, wasn't it? And only a few did. They were so steeped in their own self-righteousness, as we've been looking at for weeks in Galatians. Clearly, God still thinks we struggle with it, or it wouldn't be in front of us. That this self-righteousness is not what it's about. It's love that comes, flows from the relationship with Christ, that he loved us, we didn't love him, but that self-sacrificing love, that, that love that was predestined, that's what God is talking about here. And look at what John follows this up with. Many decades later, after hearing this in the upper room, we love because he first loved us. Notice the same order, same order that we saw in John 13, right? I give you, you love one another as I've loved you. It's because I loved you, I showed you, this is what you do. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is not just a suggestion, this is a command. God has called us to do this, but I'm going to come back to our theme. You've got to choose it. You could, this is being pushed, in, the Holy Spirit wants you to do this, but you can push it back. And we're called to not do that. Here's what we see in, in, from Paul. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which... Do I have the wrong one up there? Sorry, I had that one up there. I reversed them. My mistake. I'll put this one up. But you guys, you know, you've heard those verses before. I can't see... In my defense, I can't see that one very well. And, you know, I'm getting older. But... Stick with me. Even if the screen isn't right, just stick with me. All right, let's get back to the one I'm supposed to be on. All right, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Christ living in us, what Christ did is what drives this. And then 1 John 4, earlier in the passage that we looked at, that John referenced, In this is the love of God. It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So clearly, clearly, that's exactly what we're to do. And it's because of him that we do this. And we must make that choice. All right, I told you earlier, and let's see if this one's in the right order. It is, Colossians 3, I told you that I was going to come to this. This is really important too. Just before this, contextually, very much like Ephesians chapter 4, we have the put on, put off. Put off, put on. That is right before this. If you're looking at this in Colossians 3, here's what we see. Here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on. It says put on. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If we didn't struggle with this, it wouldn't be a constant reminder, would it? It wouldn't. And he's saying, put on, choose this. All right, verse 2, here we are. It's being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. 
This is the unity concept we've been talking about. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, unity of mind. We'll quickly look at the Greek on this too. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now we're going to take a look at this with Peter's passage on this in chapter 3, but look at, the, look at the Greek first with me. Homophrones, to think the same, to be like-minded, inwardly unity of heart. Back to the inward part. Back to the inside. Not surface, not as uh, people pleasers, not as just a show, but of the same mind. We believe what this word says. Before we get any further into it, this is what we're unified in. What this says. Not what I think, what not I hope for, not what I, in my flesh, it's what this says. Here's what Peter says. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. Notice the connections to what we've already read. What we've already seen in, in Paul's passage. It shouldn't shock you that there is a fluidity to this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. I want you to keep that in mind for an hour or two. There's a blessing in walking with the Lord that you can miss out on. You may be saved, but you're going to miss out on something if you're not walking with him as you should be. And when we think of this, participation in the Spirit, this is a big piece of this. What we talked about earlier, this is a big piece of it. The unification of the believer. 1 Corinthians 1, 10-12 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree there be no divisions among you, but that you be uni- uni- united in the same mind and of the same judgment. It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. There's only one right answer in that list, by the way. There's only one right answer in that list. I hope you figured it out right away. Okay, you know, this is kind of like a multiple choice, A, B, C, or D. Pick D. Just, if you're wondering, it's I follow Christ. Not a man, not an individual, I want you to notice something about this verse and then the second verse. This is within the same letter that we see chapter 11. And notice what he says here. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Sometimes there is division. Sometimes it's not even bad because sometimes we forget this part. I follow Christ. Letter D the choice that we should make. We need to be unified in following Christ and what his word says. This is not a commentary on anything. This is just a reality of Scripture. This is a reality of Scripture. There are times when it's necessary. Same letter, same idea, same man, same Holy Spirit who wrote this, but it's interesting how we see this. Here's what he says about being in full accord. Notice this one. Sumo sokose is the word here. Most of theologians agree that Paul may have coined this term himself. Interesting, this full accord term. It literally means to be united in soul or one-souled. I love this because I'd never seen this before. And when you start studying and breaking down Scripture like this, you start to learn like you've never learned before. I would just encourage you, even if you're not teaching at a pulpit or behind in front of people, study that way. Study like you're about to teach. And, and by the way, you are. You're going to encounter somebody that you need, you need to teach, you need to talk to. You need to tell them what you know. Study that way, and it just, the incredible, incredible richness of Scripture just blows your mind. I was telling the elders that this week. It's a joy to prepare because you just, you're just amazed by your God. I, I hope you see that when you study the Word of God. Anyway, back to this. 
as we look at the text, it says, knit together in harmony of view, belief, affection towards Christ, his gospel and his accomplishing and accomplishing his will. We're united in that. It immediately made me think, now my cross-references didn't take me here, but I bet it took you here in your mind. Where have you heard that before? Oh yeah, David and Jonathan. What were they knit together at the soul? Huh. What, what does that mean? I've always taught the students that. What a, I, don't, I don't get that. They viewed the Lord the same. Their souls looked at the Lord the same. They understood who God was collectively. They both had the, the correct fear of the Lord. Now, we know exactly what God thinks of David, a man after his own heart, a man who was willing to do all, accomplish all of the Father's will, Acts chapter 7, as, we, as Stephen goes through that. But I, apparently so was Jonathan. He had the same view. He doesn't get, the, he doesn't get the, the, uh, the same amount of attention, but they were knit at the soul. They viewed the Lord the same. That's how Christians should be, based on what God's Word says. All right, moving on. Verse 3. The danger of rivalry and conceit. I think this isn't going to be too complex to understand. Verse 3a, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Do nothing. Man, the problem is I do so much out of rivalry and conceit. And don't you sometimes in the flesh? Boy, I do this so often. And yet this very small phrase is extremely convicting. Here we see in this Greek, this simply means two words here, self-interest or vain conceit about me. What I want, what I want now, and it's all about me promoting me, me advancing me, and we're to do nothing for that reason. Very hard to, to embrace that, but that's exactly what we're called to do. James 3 tells us this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Not our wisdom, God's wisdom. James is also the one who tells us, if you want wisdom, seek it from the Lord, and he'll give it to you generously. He's not talking about your own wisdom. As a matter of fact, he's, he's the one who contrasts man's wisdom, worldly wisdom, between God's wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. Here we have picos, the Greek word here. This is undrinkable water, that bitterness. Like, it's not palatable. You can't even handle it. And then jealousy, the zelon Greek word here, harsh, resentful, and it's this resentment towards others. Think about the contrast of what the context is. We're to be unified, and, and we're to be loving one another. Remember, as Christ loved us, and yet this creeps in so often, this self-seeking, self-promoting, self-agenda stuff. we got to be careful about this. That selfish ambition is what they often used in the Greek language to describe a... a a corrupt politician, which we all love those so much, right? Do you really want to be compared to a corrupt politician in the Roman world or our world? I'm not sure which one's worse. Here's what we see, a great quote here. And, and uh, Marita actually did a commentary. pastor gave me a commentary on Philippians. I took this from here. It says this, A humble person will avoid rivalry and conceit. They'll avoid it. Paul just spoke about the wrongly motivated preachers who are driven by rivalry in chapter 1, verse 17. And now he tells the whole church to avoid this attitude. Don't just think it's the false teachers. It could be you, this attitude. And he says this, notice attitude again. Rivalry will divide congregations in a terrible way. Every church member should be beware of the presence of rivalry and seek to put it to death. All things, remember, in everything, don't do this. They should seek the glory of Jesus instead of their own glory and rejoice whenever someone is being used by God to advance the gospel. Ah, this is hard. This is hard. 
But this is what we're, we are not about us, we're about the gospel. We're not about our glorification, we're about God's glorification. We're not about our kingdom, we're about his kingdom. That's a tough one, but that's what God calls us to. That's what we want to encourage ourselves with. And he referenced 117, I'll put 118 from a few weeks ago. Even where the situation where the gospel is being preached with the wrong attitude, wrong motivation, that doesn't stop the Lord. Think of the story of Joseph. I just covered this with with my junior high this week. Man, what man meant for evil, God's using for good. God can do whatever he pleases with his incredible word. So, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. That should be our mindset. That should be yours and mine. Yes, and I'll rejoice in that. Very important. Now, back to this, the danger of rivalry and conceit. We know what Jesus says to his apostles in Mark 9. Okay? They, they saw somebody casting out demons. They're like, wait a minute, he wasn't us. And what does Jesus say to him? Just go to verse 39 for the sake of time. Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who, who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. It's not us against them. It's not our church and we're the best and nobody else does it right. It's not like that. And we better not have that mindset. Not in our church either. It doesn't mean if you sit on this side, you're better than the ones who sit on this side. Plus, I sit over here, so it can't possibly be. <laughs> no, that's not how it can be. Okay, We want to encourage one another to do this, even if we think, oh, but, but I'm the one that's called to do this. Oh, we're all called to do this. That's not the way we should think of that. One church is not greater than another. We need to worry about our own business here, and we need to do what God's calling us to do humbly here. Very important. Again, that's just what God's Word is telling us. That's what we should do. There's more to say for this, but I don't have time for it. I want to skip ahead here a little bit. The difficulty of humility. The difficulty of humility. This is a struggle. Now, you may remember, I'm running out of time here, but I would be remiss if I didn't remind you of my great work a few years ago when we went through the Jerry Bridges uh, book about uh, godliness, you might remember. They gave me humility, and I released my own book, if you recall. Does anybody remember this one? By Marshall Johnson, Humility and How I Achieved It. In case you weren't there, I, you know, I think it's still in bookstores today. It, it may be, and if you missed that one, you might see my follow-up that you forgot about, The Seven Steps to Becoming the Most Humble Person that You Know, and How You Can Get Your Friends to Notice That. I want you to notice the endorsement that I got for this. I was voted most humble by my mother. That is really, that's something. Now listen, I, this joke, clearly, hopefully, you realize this is a joke. But uh, what it's always made me laugh, and I know I don't have time, but it's just funny, and we love each other, and you're going to give me a second. Um, you ever thought about when Moses was forced to write down that he was the most humble man on earth? And uh, everybody's listening after that's being read, because they publicly read the Word of God, that that, that is being read, and that the irony of that, and it's like, well, he said he's the most humble man on earth, and imagine being the most humble man on earth and saying, God making you do that. It's funny to me every time I think about it. I believe it's true, but it would be hard to accept, I'm sure, for the people in the moment. But back to this. This is not about me or Moses in in the moment. It's about you and me in the moment. And here's what we see. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Ooh, that's a staggeringly difficult passage to understand. Other people are more important than me? That can't be. I'm the one that breathes and drinks and and rests and gets food when I'm hungry. That's a hard way to think. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Let's quickly understand some of this. Back to Mark 9, you guys remember, he, 
he, he was talking to his apostles about not bashing men who were doing his work. Right before that, in the same passage, they were discussing about who's the greatest. And I'll bet that John's question to him, and John is mentioned as asking the question, was convicting when he thought about this. Because he thought he was greater than that other man that was doing God's work. And this idea, I want to pick this up in the middle because you know the passage. Verse 35, he sat down and called the twelve and he said, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all the servants of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst. And taking him in his arms, he said to him, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. The humility of all of this. This happens to the apostles multiple times, by the way. They struggle with this all the way up to the Last Supper. As they're giving, as they're sitting there watching the Lord wash their feet, they're still struggling with who's the greatest. You might remember James and John also initiated their mother to go ask the same question. This is a struggle that they've had and they will continue to have and we will continue to have. Humility is a struggle. And I'm out of time and I want to close with this. If we want to consider what the Lord thinks is good, what he wants out of you and me to keep the unity of the faith, to continue to put on and put off the right things, let's look at this passage. And I I just love this to end us with in Isaiah. Am I there yet? There we go. Okay, there we go. Okay, this is the one I want to end with. And I just think it's going to help us take this to the world. Here's what it says. Thus says the Lord, anytime you hear that, pay attention. Heaven is my throne. He's in charge. And earth is my footstool. You're little. He's big. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I I will look. Okay, this is who I'm looking for. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Okay, that's the greatest way to stop and end this session that I could think of. This is what God's looking for for you and for me as we continue to go through Philippians 2, 1 through 4. And we're about to hit 5 through and we're going to be absolutely humbled next week when we sit and consider what Christ has done for you. Undeserving as we are, There is no other response to our Savior than this, right here. Humble and contrite, contrite, and you tremble at his words. That's what we should be. We should just consider this in awe, because that's what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. What an incredible encouragement for us to work together in this, that we're all on the same team doing this, and yet we struggle. The the rivalry and conceit, it comes out in us, and yet... We know what you've called us to do and empowered us to do. We have fellowship in the Spirit. All of this is because of what you've done, and it comes down to us. And we have the ability to be partakers of this divine nature. I pray that we embrace it today. As we go in from this hour into the second hour, I pray that we can apply that to what we hear from you in the second hour. And as we sing and as we take this to the world, that we, we don't just think and understand intellectually that but we actually do these things that's what you've called us to that's what pleases you that's what that's what you desire from us i pray that we do that today in jesus name we pray amen